Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The national champion in college football has been crowned, and boy, is that crown heavy for what happened in that national championship game. The NFL postseason is here. Playoff seedings and games are set to go, so football fans rejoice from one game to the next. We're back, and nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League postseason. Some rumblings around Major League Baseball as somebody that was signed with one team, signed with another team, now signed again with the other team because his leg is apparently something that needs to be studied by medical professionals for years to come based on how much money it seemingly is worth in his contract, Carlos Correa. And we're getting closer to the trade deadline in the NBA, whether or not some teams want to make some decisions, the Los Angeles Lakers. But we start with the college football playoff national championship and a game that will go down in history because it's the biggest blowout of all time in any of the college football playoff games, in any bowl games, in any championship games. When you get into the discussions of any's of all time, never good for the team on the other end. And that was the case for one TCU. Georgia won the national championship over the Horn Frogs. 65 to 7. Now, for new listeners, people that need reminding, I'm the producer for the morning show on Sirius XM's Big 12 radio, Monday through Friday, 8 to 11 Eastern Time, Channel 375. Tune in if you're not doing much. So there was a bias. Are you supposed to say 8A to 3A? <laughs> 8A to 11A? Is that what everybody says? You can, yeah. Everybody tries to have their own unique spin on just saying normal things like time and dates. I try to just be normal. 8A to 11A, 8A to 2P. Sure. 8A to 11A or 7A to 10A Central Time. Or the bottom line is uh, 65A to 7A. (laughs) 12 and a half. 12 and a half per quarter wasn't enough. 12 and a half. And 13 and a half when the line first came out on that Saturday after Ohio State missed the kick to start the year 2023. Georgia squeaked by by the skin of their teeth. And TCU got by Michigan, fueled by a couple pick sixes, of course, and stupid mistakes from J.J. McCarthy, despite showing his parents every time he did something semi-okay. And his girlfriend. And his girlfriend, can't forget. I hammered the line, of course. Just because of the disrespect of it. It's the national championship game. You think this team's going to scroll by them by two touchdowns at least? And I accurately called you a Big 12 homer. Of course. And I love you. But I told you to put the brakes on. Uh, This was a fair line because of 
the way the TCU beat Michigan, or right. Michigan beat themselves. And great for Vegas, because they want to they want to tempt you, of course. Because that would have been, you know, about the spread of the game in Michigan, not shut themselves in both feet. But, you know, you braggadocio that you are, chirping away, how dare they, disrespect, 12 and a half, pound the Horn Frogs. And remember, this is coming from someone, in yours truly, that likes the Horn Frogs. Of course. I always root for TCU. Way back in the day of the great LaDalian Tomlinson and their legendary coach who basically built the program uh, into a regular bowl competitor, a regular bowl uh, caliber team. And at times, at times, on the fringe of competing for a national title, you know, cut out uh, of the mix a few years ago. And Gary Patterson, now the defensive coordinator at Texas, basically built that program. And so I always like to see the Horn Frogs do well. They play exciting football. But, well, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm waiting <laughs> to hear the rest of you – know, is, is there anything left in the tirade? Or, or is that all gone? I thought it was a very good rant last week's show. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. I stood up for TCU on on a hill that supported my weight and height, screamed to the heavens about these college football fans that still weren't giving them any credit. They don't deserve to be there. They got lucky against Michigan because they haven't watched them play all year. And I've argued that it's better to know a lot about a little than a little about a lot or however the phrase goes, where I can understand if you're not watching Big 12 football, if you're a fan of the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC, why would you care about them? But I think you should at least, as a college football fan, know a little bit about who the best team in said conference is. And after six or seven games, especially after beating Texas, they kind of rose to that level of, okay, let's give them a look, see what they have going on. They've got a quarterback that finished second in the Heisman. They've got a wide receiver who's supposedly going to be a first-round pick despite his end line in the national championship being one reception for three yards. Yes, three yards. They've got a great running back who couldn't play because he hurt his knee against Michigan. They've got decent people across the lines and in the backfield as well just to get a look and see what we're dealing with. So if the postseason should come and if TCU makes it, you have an okay idea of what you're dealing with. And I don't think enough people did that. Now, obviously, I look like a fool, but sometimes you shouldn't play the end result. I've heard the score said 20 or 30 times throughout the week. Every time it's mentioned, it takes my breath away. 65 to 7. And it wouldn't, even if it was just a regular season game in NFL, college football, whatever, even high school, you hear 65 to 7. What could have possibly happened? Who got hurt? Did you take players off the field? Was there some new rule enacted where the other team couldn't throw or something had to happen for this? No, it was a regularly played game. And the closest we had to competitiveness and, okay, maybe they'll figure it out. Here they come. Typical TCU. They get down early. They figure it out in the second half. We'll have a close one. It was 10-7 with 4.45 left in the first quarter. After Georgia scored, they stopped TCU. TCU foolishly called tails, lost the coin toss, got the ball, three and out. Here we come, Georgia, 7-0. Okay, 
They don't do anything again. Their next drive, okay, hold Georgia to a field goal. Score the next possession on a broken play that went for 60-something yards through the air because cornerbacks just completely forget where this wide receiver was. That's besides the point. It's 10-7. All right, here we go. Well, then you get outscored the rest of the way. The rest of the score. You don't even score again, Al. I couldn't believe it. It got to halftime, and it was 38-7. to And these poor people that they put at this desk, way too many for the desk, have to somehow tell the viewing public why they shouldn't turn the channel and watch Everybody Loves Raymond reruns on TV land. Well, the Vikings came back from a deficit like this in the second half against the Colts with five touchdowns. Maybe, well, this Georgia team, unfortunately, wasn't Jeff Saturday's Colts. It was an absolute beatdown of epic proportions. I don't think any team, and I shouldn't say think, no team in college football would have beaten Georgia on that day. Stetson Bennett rode off into the sunset again for part two, with one of the best games he's ever played. It looked like the varsity team lost a bet with their coach and they had to play the eighth grade team in an exhibition match because of whatever happened to them and their misfortunes. That's how good Georgia looked on both sides of the ball. The three, three, five defense vaunted by TCU looked like a two, three zone that they were playing in basketball. They had no answers on either side, and it just goes to show of the top-tier teams in college football right now, your Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, how fast they are on those lines, how big they are on those lines. If you can dominate in the trenches on both sides, my goodness, it looks like they're on a different planet than the opposing team. And unfortunately, on that day, it's TCU, and now the narrative will go on for the rest of the offseason now of does the Big 12 belong, does TCU belong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Credit to Georgia, man. David Pollock said it right to Nick Saban's face, Al. Georgia's the top team in college football. Kirby Smart, two in a row. The guy who couldn't win, who kept making mistakes. How far gone is that, gentlemen? Because this Georgia team has been for real, the dynasty talk is warranted, and of course now it's they're on to potentially number three. As incredibly difficult as it's going to be. I mean, people are just putting them on top of the national to play for the national championship next season. Let's hold on; it's not that easy. But well, as they stand now, it's Georgia and everybody US, else. They're where USC was when USC won two in a row and went into the next year looking for three, and came a fourth down conversion in a Vince Young miraculous game away from three in a row. Uh, they're where you know, Alabama's been. And, you know, as I have said uh, in the last couple of months, because you know, there was never, uh, there, there hasn't been a more, I should say a bigger critic of, of Kirby Smart in past years and his inability to get it done in big games his confounding clock management, his fake punts uh, at, at midfield of a game that seemed to be slipping away against Alabama, which then was just so obvious the whole building knew it was coming, that basically threw, said goodbye to the game. 
he's made the transition. Recruiting better, coaching better, more prepared. Two months ago, I said, it is Kirby Smart's world and everybody else is playing in it. And that's the bottom line. And it was punctuated by one of the greatest timeouts in the history of college football. The timeout he called just before Ohio State could get off the fourth down fake punt that would have converted a huge first down for them to retain possession late in that game, which he stopped with the timeout, called just in time, resulted in them punting, getting the ball back, winning the game. That was a game in the postgame interview where he said, we didn't play very well. Uh, We didn't play near our best game, but they dodged the bullet. A really good Ohio State team, not a great Ohio State team, but an Ohio State team knew we could score. Also knew that a a mediocre at best defense, uh, which could not get the job done against Georgia down the stretch. And Stetson Bennett with big plays and big completions when it counted most. They survived a 50-yard missed field goal uh, as the clock struck midnight on Ohio State. And then they get themselves properly prepared and get their heads screwed on straight and listen to a pregame, I don't want to call it speech, tirade for the ages. Incredible. And go out and literally play uh, an incredibly dominant and perfect game against a really good team that a lot of people didn't think would be there. Some people thought it didn't belong there. But the bottom line is they beat any other college football team the way they played in this game, including Alabama, including Michigan, including LSU, anybody else from the SEC you want to mention. They were superior. The best team all year played their best game in the biggest game. And I don't want to listen to Chris Russo, which I – Spoke to yesterday and said enough already with Stenson Bennett being 25 years old. You know, BYU has kids who are 25, 26, 27, playing in all their all their sports. You know, when they come back from their Mormon missions. It's not like Stetson Bennett's been playing for seven years. He had the red shirt. He had COVID. You know, he waited his turn. Uh, I don't see any huge advantage for the fact that Stetson Bennett is 25 and Chris Russo thinks there's a big advantage because he's 25 and he's throwing against a 20-year-old cornerback. I failed to fathom that rationale in any way, shape, or form. What I'm trying to figure out, because he was great, but a huge part of it was how great his team played. They made some great catches on tight throws that could have easily been broken up. They were perfect throws, but they were tough catches because they were in the coverage. He made some nice runs. And, you know, once it got to be a total route, uh, I was back and forth. But I have to, this que- I have to ask you this question because I would have to watch the entire replay. Did Stetson Bennett ever get touched? And I don't mean to be facetious here. I don't recall him being touched. Did he ever get actually physically tackled and touched by the opponent? I don't remember seeing that. And I'm not saying that to make fun of TCU. I'm just saying I don't remember a play where he got tackled physically and was touched by the TCU defense. I'm sure it happened. But seemingly every time he ran, when he ran for his couple touchdowns, it was untouched. He had time to throw. His offensive line did a great job. 
His receivers played terrific. Bowers is a first-round draft pick already, the true sophomore tight end. They ran the ball well. Their defense put pressure on the quarterback. And look, the, the TCU quarterback, Max Duggan, was their savior all year long, whether it was by land or by air. He did whatever was necessary, and he could do nothing in this game. They didn't do any run options with him at all. He wasn't able to scramble away when there was pressure. And he made some terrible throws. He made some bad reads. The deep throw to Johnston, you know, he had him open over the middle very early. He threw the ball in the wrong place, which resulted in an interception and not just possible points for you, but points against you. The throw at the end of the first half was a terrible read where he tried to force the ball and resulted in seven points going the other direction. He looked overmatched. And no knock on him. He had a fabulous season. Heisman runner-up, Cinderella story, much like Bennett, guy who was neglected, guy who never got a chance and kept hanging in there and fighting away and do, did all the things that we love to see our college athletes do. Keep on plugging. Never give up. Never say, I can't do it. Never say, I'm done. Never quit. Never stop pushing to be your best and hoping for that opportunity. And then when you get it, take huge advantage of it. And that's exactly what he did. And he was fabulous all year long. And he picked the biggest game to have his worst game. And a lot of it was obviously the opponent. And what Georgia did that took him out of his game, maybe confused him. Maybe it was obviously the speed of the Georgia defense. but. He made bad decisions. He made bad throws. And it took a game that I thought would be, if you remember, 41 to 20 and turned it into 65 to 7. And uh, it was literally not that close. This wasn't even a game where there were a massive amount of TCU turnovers that resulted in short fields. There were a couple. One was the early field goal. One was the touchdown before halftime. But Georgia was just scoring at will. They were scoring like, you know, as you said earlier, like they were playing the eighth graders. You know, they were scoring like they had eight guys out of the field. They looked totally and completely uh, overmatched. And Georgia gets all the credit. They have lost one game in the last two years. They come out of the best conference. They've won the best conference. They didn't have to play Alabama this year, uh, which obviously is, is a break. Do I think they were better in Alabama yet this year? Yes, I do. Do I think they were better in everybody this year? Yes, I do. And do I think they were better in everybody by 58 points? No. On another day, TCU plays them closer. But this was the perfect storm. This was Georgia ready, understanding where they were, the place they were in, the time they were in, and also realizing that they almost got caught with their pants down against Ohio State, and it wasn't going to happen again. And they showed that with a major, major statement in a brilliant performance from beginning to end to show that they are, without a doubt, the number one program in college football. And now they prepare recruiting-wise, and off-season-wise, weight-training-wise, and spring practice-wise for the attempt at the elusive 3 
and to continue their winning streak. Credit to Kirby Smart. Stetson Bennett rides off into the sunset to the NFL. I'm going to say I doubt it, but then again, we have Mr. Irrelevant quarterbacking the San Francisco 49. Right. So who knows? There's got to be a team that look at him saying, we at least got to give this kid an opportunity. We got to bring him in. He can certainly throw. He moves well. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Why can't he be on an NFL roster next year? I see no reason why not. I mean, you watch these guys win in college football. Guys like Jalen Hurts, who it happened fast, and then is he ever going to win again? And, okay, now he's got to find the right coach and the right system, and is that going to be what helps him get over the hump, if you will, to get the National Football League? Then once he gets there, can he find the right system? Can he find the right coach? We see this all the time in sports. Well, he was a second. He was a second round pick, though. I right. Mean, yeah. True. This kid's not going to be a second round pick. And as and as I said, I still think Jalen Hurts is exactly in the NFL what he was in college. You know, a better version of Dak Prescott. Yeah. Dak Prescott was a fourth round pick. Came out of Mississippi State. There was a reason. Yeah. But it's crazy State, to see not, not badly. He's badly because he's a Dallas Cowboy. Right. It's just crazy to see the circumstances and the situation benefit or discredit a player. And it's not necessarily always their fault. We're going to talk shortly about a quarterback called Trevor Lawrence that had it happen to him. You're the the first pick. Okay. And well, you get the short end of the stick. This bullshit from Christopher Mandel Russo, but you know, stop playing. Stop playing. Why? Why? Especially uh, in his situation. He's not the example for that of stop playing. You know, go to the NFL. Why should you go to the NFL when nobody's going to draft him? Yeah. So I'm just going to retire from college football? Maybe I'll get on a practice squad when I can make several million dollars being the quarterback for Georgia and most likely win every game I play. Why would I and, sign and, up for and, that? And continue, Again. And continue, to, and continue to play. For another you know, year. The bottom line. You love to play. You love to compete. You do it until they take the jersey off your back. Ask Tom Brady. And this is a kid, much like Brady, not given much of a chance to succeed. And as we said about, you know, Mad Max, keep on trucking, keep on pushing. Going to knock down the door until somebody gives me a chance. Bring in Daniels. Got to win the job. From him, you know, the, the hot shot transfer from USC. He takes the job from him. Struggles. You know, I, as I said to, to Mad Dog, I go, were you bitching about how old he was when they barely beat Ohio State 41-40? Yeah. Were you bitching about the fact that he was 24 when he got his head handed to him in the SEC title game last year right. against Alabama and made bad throws and bad reads and interceptions and they got smoked in the second half? I don't recall anybody bitching about him being 24 then. But now because they're kicking ass and taking names, he's got to go home. He can't play anymore. You know, it's a big advantage for him at 25 to play against some, some supreme cornerback who runs a 4 because he's 20. What, what, what am I missing here? Why is it some huge advantage for Stetson Bennett to be 24 or 25 uh, against, you know, a 20-year-old cornerback? They're all coached up. They all watch film. Athletically. Where's the advantage? He's got a rocket arm at 25 versus 22. Give me a break. 
It's asinine. Asinine. Give the kid some credit for hanging in there, waiting his turn, and showing everybody that he could compete at the highest level from a college perspective. And now, if he so chooses, and if they so choose him, we'll see what he can do at the next level. But you kidding me? I'm playing, man. Absolutely. I'm playing. I'm, I'm playing as long as I can. Get to be with my buds, get a free education. Now I'm getting NIL money and I'm playing for a national title. And I won one, and still people were saying the next year, oh, he can't do it again. Look at his ratings, look at his numbers. He won't be as good. Okay, let me just go show you one more time then, if you still don't believe. Incredible. To answer your earlier question, I don't remember him getting knocked down. I know for a fact he wasn't sacked. We could easily just see that in the box score. Being, I don't I think don't he was touched, touched on the. I don't. He wasn't touched on the touchdown runs either of them. Right. I and don't remember him being touched by the opponent. I honestly don't think so. Like he made that joke at the end of the game where you know you say the my jersey's clean and I have to thank my lineman for that, etc. But that after he said it got me thinking like. Did he have to slide on a run? Like, did he touch he the ground he, at all? He, 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 remember, remember, he had a first down scramble where he where he dove. Yeah, he did the dive. So that but was, not the slide, the right. dive. So he got the you know he gets the benefit of diving for the mark, but he wasn't touched. It was like a video game, honestly, in every way. Like you were playing your little brother, and it was his first time at the control. And he kept asking you, like, hey, can you help me? Like, what do I do here? What do I do? Oh, no, it'll be fine. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And Sonny Dykes and co. never figured it out. Max Duggan so never figured it out. the opposite of what we've gotten in the past. Uh, well, this, where, this was our semifinals we, game, score-wise. Exactly. This was exactly. It just happened we, we, under the lights. We, where we get two bad semifinal games and a good final, we got two exciting semifinal games and an incredibly non-competitive final. Yeah. So two out of three ain't bad. And unfortunately for the Big 12 and for TCU, now you carry this with you for, for years to come. They could get to the exact same spot next year, win out, hopefully win the Big 12, not like this year where they lose it, and then that kind of hurt their argument. But say they win the Big 12, they go unbeaten. It'll be now when they're talking about the Final Four and the college football playoff. Well, look at what they did last year. They proved a team like that doesn't deserve to be in the end. So next year, you have to just basically cross them off the list, cross the Big 12 off the list because of the albatross they're carrying. And until the playoff expands to 12, you can't, you can't do they'll that. be back. You can't do that. If they go undefeated next year and win the Big 12, they'll be in the playoff. And they should. But the narrative from the college fans will be, can you believe it, well, we got to deal fans, with this again? The, fan, the fans don't decide. Correct. Just going to be loud, so much louder than this past year was. Oh goodness! But when we get to twelve teams, they can they can come back to college football fans. It's unfortunate, and I mean, short of Al them losing by like a game winning field goal at the end, nobody was going to respect them. They either had to win, or it had to be a game winning drive from Stetson Bennett in Georgia, or a game winning kick for TCU oh, to get any now, of the now you're taking the opposite end of the spectrum. First, you know, it's like, uh, you know, how can they be a twelve and a half or thirteen point half point underdog? Now you're just taking it to, to the scenario where even if they played well 
they weren't going to get the respect. I, I would have given it to them. I don't think well, the, the, the you national don't public count. would have. You I don't, don't count. I don't think college you're the homer. Okay, you you you're not a factor here. Your vote doesn't count. You know, you you don't get to go in and cast a vote for dad, right? The the point here is, you know, had they played well and competed, and it had been you know thirty four twenty four, uh, you know thirty seven twenty eight, uh, there'd be no problem. I hope you would hope, but right? This is not that. No. So now they got it. Now they got to re-earn some respect. Yeah. They got to go out and play well next year and win the Big 12 and do whatever's necessary. Look, what happened last year with Michigan? Michigan smoked Ohio State. Michigan, everybody was touting. And they went in and Georgia handed them, not 65 to 7, but Georgia dominated them from the outset. And everybody said Michigan was a fluke and Michigan didn't belong. And what did Michigan do? They went out, went undefeated, kicked Ohio State's ass at the big horseshoe and came right back and spit the bit against TCU. But nonetheless, <laughs> right. they, they came right they came right back and there they were again, right back in the semifinals. So I'm not putting it past TCU to go out and have a great year and be back. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And if they do what they need to do, if they go undefeated, uh, or if they have one very tough loss, whatever the case may be, and win the Big 12, then they'll be a team that will be in the mix to go back to the Final Four. So, uh, you know, enough with the crybaby routine. You know, enough with the woe is me of the Big 12. They're not going to get their respect. Even if they played well, they wouldn't have got respect. You're wrong on all counts. Just hide your head. Okay, in shame, you were embarrassed once. Now you're embarrassed again. But don't don't cry foul here. Nobody's done anything wrong to TCU. They got their chance. They performed well with the first chance. They got thoroughly dominated in the championship game. It happens. It happens. Not to this extent. It's an all timer. <laughs> but still, they will do whatever they got to do to get back next year. And this will not be held against them. Needless to say, the lowest watch national championship in the college football playoff era, not very much of a surprise for that. And now the storylines for the off season follow the top teams around the country, especially the likes of Georgia, Alabama, who's going to be their quarterback. Now, the storylines continue for all those teams. How will TCU respond after their OC, Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother, today after Clemson fired Brandon Streeter, that bum who had no idea how to run their offense with DJ Uyunglele, which difficult to do with him as your quarterback. Well, that, was, that was the problem. <laughs> difficult yeah, to do with him as your quarterback, they, yes. They, 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 they should have, you know, the coach is the one who made the, yeah. the mistake. Uh, you know, when I told you all year, this guy couldn't play. And as soon as you inserted the freshman, you start to saw, started to see a difference, you know, with respect to the offense. Right, imagine. Uh, they had their heads handed to him in the bowl game because it was a freshman right. who wasn't ready for that stage, and it showed. But that was a decision that was made far too late by the coach. Yep. So he bears you know, the brunt of that failure. 
but they put her down Brandon Streeter, and now he gets replaced replaced by correct me if I'm wrong, Lincoln Riley's brother, correct? Correct, Garrett Riley, and he won the award for best assistant coach for this year for what he did with that offense. So they move Swift, and you know can't fault him for Cade Klubnick being the quarterback is probably looking a lot shinier than Chandler Morris with TCU, who won the job to start the season, got hurt, and then never won it back. So it's interesting how the wheels will spin. And it's also funny to think about, it's like predicting the weather. If you were to think of, okay, maybe this isn't Georgia's year. Maybe there's no good team in college football because you looked at Kansas State blowing out Missouri. Missouri almost upsetting Georgia earlier in the season. Kansas State getting their doors beaten in by Alabama. And then Georgia beating TCU's ass. TCU beat Kansas State. Trying to figure out college football that way of who beat whom and on what day and how things are going. There's no way to figure out college football if you go by who beat whom, what happened on X day, and then the transitive property of, well, this team beat them and we beat that team, so maybe this will be the year. You can't do it. It's never worked for however many years college football has been around for where people had the opportunity to do it. So that thus ends marks the college football season in incredible fashion for Georgia and the SEC historic fashion at that a two peat for them. And they travel to find a way to win three for next year. So it was an exciting season. And as we get closer and closer to the 12 team playoff, obviously people will be clamoring for that. Now we might be without, we are without a commissioner for the big 10 as it stands. Now, Kevin Warren taking his suitcase to the NFL as the president and CEO of the Chicago bears, seeing as they're going to be getting a new stadium and making them all shiny and new might as well leave for that. So the big 10 will be looking for somebody else to fill that void. Nothing circles the wagons like the National Football League. College football is not far behind. You would think this being the offseason now, it would kind of cool down. Never. There's always something to go along with that. We put a bookmark in it, though, and we talk about the National Football League and its postseason because it has been decided. The teams that have clinched a playoff spot, seven of them now after a newly 18-weeked season wrapped up last week, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Jags, Chargers, Ravens, Miami Dolphins, the seven from the AFC, Eagles, 49ers, Vikings, Bucks, Cowboys, Giants, the Seattle Seahawks at seven. Among the teams that made it out, what surprised you the most of who got in and who got left out? Well, before we do that, let's just first make sure everybody is aware of the fact that the young Player from the Buffalo Bills, uh, who suffered a heart attack on the field, lo and behold, a week and a half ago, uh, is miraculously home. Incredible. He's home. And he's not in a Buffalo hospital home. He's home, home. After being transferred from a Cincinnati hospital to a hospital in the greater Buffalo area. He is home and doing well. And miraculously, if somehow some way you did not see one of the most incredible sports moments of my lifetime, the opening kickoff against the Patriots, we turned for a touchdown in an atmosphere the likes of which we have not seen in recent memory. It was, I 
texted Nick Wright one word, incredible. He responded, one of the most amazing things we've ever seen. It was, you couldn't have written it, you couldn't have dreamed it, you couldn't have imagined it. And if you didn't have a lump in your throat or a tear in your eye like this old sap does, then you don't have a pulse. So that started the Bills rolling. And that was a very competitive game, but the Bills tended to business. Uh, No surprise. But it was just amazing to see, and it warmed the heart. It really did. It made you feel good all over. Unless, of course, you were rooting for the Patriots. Uh, But in response to your question, in in regards to the AFC, you know, nothing really surprised me. the game that was in the hat, the thing that was up for grabs, you know, more than anything else was obviously uh, the Titans and the Jags in Jacksonville. And I, I guess the biggest surprise was the fact that, you know, it looked like Tennessee was going to win the game. Uh, they led the whole way. They were in control behind the former Tennessee quarterback, University of Tennessee. And then lo and behold, uh, late in the fourth, on a third and long, he doesn't feel the pressure coming from the backside. They call it a fumble on the field. I, I would love to know that age-old question. If they called it a an incompletion on the field, would it have been reversed? It was that close. The ball went forward. It looked like his arm was starting to go forward. But then he gets hit, and the ball gets knocked out and it goes forward. Did he push it forward? Was it knocked forward? Was the arm going forward with control of the ball? And I think the determination was that the arm was not going forward with control of the ball as they do nowadays. They let him play. They didn't blow the whistle, which they're instructed to not do uh, or to do to not blow the whistle. The end result of which it makes it harder to overturn the call if it's wrong, because as you know, the rule is there has to be uh, clear evidence that the call requires an overturn. And there clearly wasn't clear evidence. Uh, I think that if it, if it had been called an incompletion on the field, it probably would have stayed that way. But it turns up to a scoop and score. It turns out to be a scoop and score. And that's how Jacksonville winds up going to the playoffs. They weren't impressive in any way, shape, or form. Tennessee defense, Tennessee's defense played a great game. Uh, they did a great job against Trevor Lawrence. They shut down the run. But that game, that play flipped the game. And that was the end of the scoring. And Tennessee's going to the playoffs. Uh, they are the four seed because they won a miserable division. And How about that? that really doesn't uh, surprise me that they won. It surprised me how they won. And then of course, you know, one of the most unwatchable games, if not the most unwatchable game of the year was the dolphins and the jets in which the dolphins needed to win to get in. They did uh, with their third string quarterback uh, in a snore fest, uh, which was decided with a uh, 50-yard field goal with a few seconds to go. And then uh, Joe Flacco couldn't get the Jets down the field uh, in position for a field goal. And then, of course, the multilateral play, which results in a safety uh, on the final play of the game. So the Dolphins get in. They will not be playing uh, to a dunk 
I can never, I still can't pronounce his last name. Tua won't play. Teddy Bridgewater won't play. They will continue to play their third string quarterback. Skyler Thompson, um, Big 12. The, the Thompson kid. Uh, uh, my Ravens, uh, you know, lost in Cincinnati with their third string quarterback and who threw two interceptions and fumbled in the end zone, which basically cost them the game uh, because the defense played great. And they will go to Cincinnati again. And in all probability, uh, I shouldn't say in all probability, Lamar Jackson is not playing. I believe that we've seen the last of Lamar Jackson in Ravens uniform. I think he's played his last game as a Raven. So knock against Lamar Jackson. Uh, I just think this is a decision that the Ravens will be forced to make because you, you can't sign him to huge guaranteed money and a long-term contract that straps you for purposes of the cap. You just signed Raquan Smith to a long-term contract, the terrific linebacker they traded for, which I think was a great signing. But now you got a player the last two seasons has missed the second half of the year and basically demoed your season. Uh, they were in first place last year. They didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they were in first place this year, and they get in 10-7. But you know, they're 8-3 with the easiest schedule in the NFL, and they wind up 10-7. and They go 2-4 and four without them. And their offense struggles enough with him, with their lack of uh, punch at the wide receiver spot. And without him, their offense is, you know, they can't score against a strong wind. And the fact that he can't stay on the field at 25 years old, and in my mind, is only going to get worse with age because his game is based upon his legs. He hasn't proven he can beat from the pocket yet. So I see what these other teams got for star quarterbacks. And he's the ex-MVP, and he's only 25. And he's not dodging you know, 22 sexual, sexual assault charges. Or I should say uh, sexual assault civil claims. And after criminal charges got dropped, and he's not uh, a, I don't want to say beaten up, but a, a battered Matthew Stafford. And he's not a, in his early 30s, little beaten up, little battered, and you know, in Chateau, Bawa with all his teammates, Russell Wilson. So he should garner at least two first round picks, if not three. And if I'm the Ravens, that's what you do, and that's how you rebuild. You rebuild by drafting a new quarterback, by getting an early pick in the first round, preferably the high state quarterback, and by getting a receiver and a quarterback with those picks and your own pick, and off you go. And you don't have to pay Lamar Jackson a fortune. Uh, and I believe that's what's going to happen. And it's no knock on Lamar. He's been great. He gives you everything he's got, but – it's too, simply too much of a risk. You can't go into next year with the same scenario. You got to franchise him and trade him. You cannot pay him that huge, you know, the huge guaranteed contract. Whether 150 is guaranteed, the entire thing's guaranteed. You just can't do it. It's not fiscally sound. It's not sound business. Uh, not in the National Football League with what's happened in the last couple of years. And over in the NFC, obviously the only real surprise was Green Bay losing. Not that it was a shocker. And the unfortunate Detroit. thing for that game that we talked about last week is we already knew, unfortunately, Detroit was out with Seattle beating the Rams in overtime. It didn't matter. Don't tell that to the Lions. Obviously, it mattered to them. But in the standings, it was unfortunate that that game was like, well, only Green Bay can get in now with a win. The but Lions I don't. I, I, it didn't take anything away from the game. Absolutely not. No, and, and of course it wouldn't. Dan Campbell, I mean, you never had to 
have any fear that he was going to get his guys ready to play. And it, it was may even help, it may have even helped Detroit. They may have played yeah. a little looser. Yeah, that's true. We're never going to know. You know, they knew going in. Okay, we got nothing to lose. And maybe they, I have no way of knowing. Maybe that helped. But the point is, you know, Rodgers again, for lack of a better term, looked old. And you know, one of the things we've always talked about with with Rodgers, this makes him so unique, is the way the ball comes out of his hand and how it gets there. And most of this year, whether it's because of age or the thumb or the hand, uh, we haven't seen that same Aaron Rodgers pretty much all year long. The ball has not come out of his hand the way we're used to saying, where you just says, you know, and it's there. Where you just the, the flick, he doesn't have to bring it back. Boom, it's there in a heartbeat. You know, in this in this teeny window, this portal that you don't think anybody else on the planet can make that throw. Uh, the kind of throws that uh, we see Justin Herbert making now. Those just ropes uh, that are literally hung on a on a on a line for forty yards that you just shake your head and say, "How did he get that ball there there like that?" Sometimes so, on the run after he just ran around the pocket that was collapsing around him three different times, <laughs> escapes all that seeming, and then throws. It was seemingly minimal effort. Yeah. And now we're seeing a guy, you know, throwing 40 yards down the field. It's coming down wet. Um, it doesn't look like he's, you know, hanging in the pocket nearly as much. It looks like sometimes he's chucking and ducking, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, he's not 28 anymore. But it's been precipitous to me from where we were last year at this time. Yes, they lost to Tampa, again, at home, and he made some ill-advised throws, but he looked healthy and everything looked right. And he didn't look the same for really the entire year this year. They got out three and one. They had the big losing streak. They came back. But even, you know, when winning, this wasn't the Rodgers we were used to seeing in terms of his ability to throw the football uh, like nobody else on the planet. No, the running game literally carried them to several of the wins down the stretch that got them to the point where it was win and get in, which was something we mentioned last week we did not expect when they – we're struggling in the beginning of the season. And you thought, wow, we're six or seven games in and it's over already. Well, they proved everybody wrong. And you, you put your faith as foolish as it might be in thinking Aaron Rodgers will be able to do it. He has in the past. Here we go. At least they'll get into the postseason before he has another one of his collapsed games. Didn't happen. Put it on his arm and he lost to Jared Goff. So bye-bye again. Green Bay Packers. And obviously I like to troll a little bit on the show as people that listen know, and Al certainly does, but it got me to thinking if you're sitting as a Denver Broncos fan after the last couple weeks with a new head coach, who's that old, that old, just football guy that kind of made the offense look like, okay, this is kind of what we hope to see all season comparatively to the Packers where you're in another season going into an off season after a devastating loss, not even in the postseason this time of will he, won't he with Aaron Rodgers? Do we want him back? And if he does come back, then what happens again? 
Now, things were bleak for Denver fans, no question about it, and we're not going to have a draft pick in the first round. Seattle's going to get to enjoy the benefits of that. Maybe. But I think you'd have to feel slightly, and it's not, it's not a great feeling either way, slightly better. That's why I, that, that, that's why I want to push Lamar Jackson, as you know, to Seattle. Yeah. For their, for that's their true. That's true. So they would not have that pick. But, I mean, if you're a Broncos fan, after the last couple weeks – Kind of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, just like well, you had no, you had, you had nowhere to go but up. But true. the thing about that the Broncos is, is that the Broncos were the most talented, worst team in the NFL. Yeah, the Broncos, as you know, being a Bronco fan, they have talent on both sides of the ball. They have Russell Wilson. They have running backs. They have receivers. And I'll tell they you, the most talent stout, is on the bench. They, it's on the IR. Half their talent got hurt this season. They have a stout defense. They need to get healthy. And Sean Payton is interviewing for the job. How about that? Supposedly, he's got interests because of the Russell Wilson factor. Of course. I mean, now they're just throwing around names for good measure. David Shaw, they're getting the guys in there so the Rooney rule doesn't impact them. They got Jim Harbaugh dangling him around with a couple conversations. I'm not reading too much into any of it, but and if you're a Broncos fan compared to a Packers fan, I could see where you well, you are a, you are a Broncos fan. So since you are a Broncos fan, what do you think Denver Nation wants, and what do you want? What does Bronco Nation want for their next coach, and who do you want as the next coach? Is it the same, or is it different? What are the what are the all your fellow Bronco fans want? Who do they who do they want nursing Russell Wilson Russell Wilson back to uh, being a premier quarterback in the National Football League? <laughs> it's probably it's probably Sean Payton as number one, uh, just because of what he did with Drew Brees as his quarterback for as long as he was, despite him being a defensive esque guy, but. I don't think he could go wrong with Jim Harbaugh from what he did as a quarterback in the National Football League. Remember when Colin Kaepernick played folks and played well? Who was his coach? Right. You know what? Just bring them all in, Al. Have one of them be the regular coach, hire one of them as the OC, and somebody could figure out a special teams role for them. Just bring them all in. We'll all be happy. I have no idea what's going to happen from the wooing Jim away from Michigan, how much that's going to cost the new ownership, the Sean Payton deal with how he can come away from the saints. I I think David Shaw was just for name alone. Uh, I think Jim Caldwell's name was thrown around. He was okay with the lions for a long time. Wasn't he? I'm pretty sure they're just getting names though. At this point to just say, look at us. We're trying. I just hope it's not some, Nathaniel Hackett, and you go, what? Why? Now remember, you know, Sean Sean Payton is still under contract. Correct. correct? Yes, they'd have to so work out some sort of trade. They're going to get some type of compensation. Yes. And you have no draft picks to give. Well, the list is is low. Yes. So, that's another factor to be considered. But the curious thing is when we look at these couple coaches who are in demand let's say Peyton, top of the list, uh, Harbaugh, number two. Yeah. Where where, where would you prefer to go when we look at the jobs? Uh, it, first of all, is the Miami coach safe? 
if they flame out, is, is he get fired? Probably not because what's happened with the quarterback since scenario, not his fault. Rest of the East, all safe. The South, do you want the Houston job? With potentially a new quarterback to nurture in the draft with the second pick in the draft? Possible. And a slew of picks, courtesy of the Browns? Possible. Division stinks? Possible. Possible. Yeah. You want the Colts job where you could get a quarterback in the draft. You know the Colts cannot be going the route of another veteran quarterback. They can't do that again. They tried that with Phil Rivers. He played as well as Phil Rivers could play. That wasn't awful. They tried it last year with, you know, the not-so-old, hideous one, who just, I mean, has anybody been more miserable in a big spot than Carson Wentz was last year in the last game of the season? you know, against Jacksonville. And then they tried it again this year, which was a complete train wreck. Has anyone ever looked older, older than the incredibly overrated Matt Ryan? Brutal. Who literally made Tom Brady look like, no pun intended, a young cult. He, Tom Brady looked like a, a college kid running around, comparatively speaking, when I watched Matt Ryan play. Matt Ryan looked 100 years old. So they can't take the route again of a veteran quarterback. So, you know, they have good players. The division stinks. Harbaugh played there. Ursay loves them. So to me, I see Harbaugh in Indy. Nowhere in the, nowhere in the north. Yeah. The west, obviously. Your team. Let's move on to the NFC. Did they decide that they're retaining Ron Rivera? Not that we've heard, no. Ownership's a mess. You don't no. want that job. No. Not, at not while point. he still owns the team. Nope. You don't want that job. Right. The South. Tampa Bay job going to be open? He hasn't been fired yet. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's up to the quarterback, the, right? The, the, the Monday after the regular season, he's come and gone. Yeah. He's still got a job. He would have been gone if somebody said the right word, I would imagine. So he'll probably okay. be back. Well, they're, they're, they're still playing. Can't yeah. fire him. Right. They're still playing. Miraculously, they're in the playoffs. How are you going to fire him? Right. Right? They're going to fire him on a Monday after the regular season in the playoffs. So now if they get bombed, in their in their first game against Dallas, maybe he gets fired. You know, obviously, you know, other than the Washington job, uh, everybody else is safe. Correct. Uh, the NFC the NFC South. We talked about, uh, you know, the, the situation uh, you know, with respect to uh, Tampa Bay being in the playoffs. I think the rest of the coaches are safe. Are they not? I would think so. Yeah. Arthur Smith is safe. You know, he's got a rebuilding process there. Uh, New Orleans coach, safe. Yep. Right? Uh, so that takes you to the north. LaFleur's not going anywhere, it looks like. I would Chicago, say only the Chicago, Bears Chicago would be coach, the one. Chicago coach, you're not going to fire him after a year. Yeah, I don't think. He, he would have been gone already. Right, no reason. Kingsbury's already gone. You want the Cardinal job? With a quarterback that you've committed a ton of money to who won't play next year? 
to me, to me, this is all about two jobs. Right. So it feels like, and it's really around as it usually who wants is the, the quarterback. Col- who wants the Colts job? Who wants the Denver job? Do you want us to get you a quarterback? Or do you want to deal with the quarterback that's you're going to have to deal with? I don't think either one of these guys are taking the Houston job. Yeah. I just don't see it. I don't know. Why would, why would you? You, you well, saw what happened to the last two guys. Because, because you've got, all right, you know, the draft capital. I guess, yeah, and you I, can, I guess and you, you would can draft, And you can draft the quarterback you want. Correct. And develop it. So now, that's, that's top three. And, and, we, and we know Sean Payton has a massive ego. Right. And maybe that's something he wants to take on. Right. Yeah, you're right. So that would be, it would be three and it's, it's all about the quarterback. And potentially you could do that with the Colts as well. Yeah. yeah. They're picking early enough where they can get one of the quarterbacks. Right. Because no one has Stroud going first. Everybody's got Bryce Young going first. Now, I happen to like Stroud best. Not because I don't like Bryce Young, but you know we've talked about it. I think Bryce Young is, yeah. Again, I'm the little guy, but I think he's too small. Yeah, I think he's too small to be successful long term in a league where guys are bigger and faster and stronger, and he could get run down physically, chased down when he scrambles. He had more difficult throwing over guys, and more suffered the injury. Um, I like. Everything about Stroud, I think he has a chance to be a terrific NFL quarterback. And he's the guy I want to be the Ravens' next quarterback. Uh, Now, I haven't seen enough of the Kentucky kid. And Timmy just missed another free throw. I have to to check their numbers from the free throw line. They're not even shooting 50% from the foul line tonight. Um, I have not seen enough of the Kentucky quarterback. Some... Mel Kuyper hasn't gone as the first quarterback in the draft. Anthony Richardson is, is flying up some boards, and I don't see it. So I'm playing about four or five games for Florida. Uh, you know, I'm not drafting him to have him step right in and play. Uh, but who knows? Who knows who these guys like the most? But I think to me it comes down to, you know, the Colts and the Broncos, two main guys for two main jobs. And if Harbaugh wants to come, I see him as the Colts coach. And if they can make the deal and he wants the job, I see Peyton as your coach. Well, the insiders on the Broncos side, and of course, everyone take this with a grain of salt because things change every hour, it seems, in the NFL. They seem to think number one for Denver is going to be Sean Payton. If he doesn't work, they want Jim Harbaugh. And if they don't work, the football people around Denver want Dan Quinn, which is somebody that whose name got thrown around this last go round when they decided on Nathaniel Hackett. Fans don't like Dan Quinn or don't know enough about him, but the football people in rooms love the man and they would love to bring him aboard. So we'll see. He's a football guy, as they say. And the, Fans are going to go toward the names. They know who Sean Payton is. He's won a Super Bowl. They obviously know Jim Harbaugh from, if not the NFL. Oh, he's the Michigan guy. So those are the fan favorite names of, oh, we'll be great with those guys. Dan Quinn comes along. Who's that guy? (laughs) 
for the casual football fans. Of course. But it'll be it's interesting. Gonna, it's, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's an exciting time. You don't want to have no. to sit through this past season to get to here, right. obviously. But you're slightly more hopeful than you were several weeks well, ago. Of, of course, you know, as a Bronco fan, it's really all you have to look forward to because you really have, don't have a lot of opportunity in the draft. Right. I and mean, you can always obviously find right. players later, but you have nothing early. So the most excitement for you is going to be uh, free agency and coach. And the coach is basically see, your your draft pick for the first round. We see what happens. This league, you can flip it quickly. You know, look at what this wonderful coach has done. You know, in Jacksonville, crazy. Uh, well, coach you know, of the year candidate, no question about coach it. Coach of the year he's candidate probably, probably win it. I, 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 you know, the giant coach to me is the coach of the year. There's just, you know, as we discussed last week, I had this team yeah. and we did the under over at what, four and a half, five, and I didn't have any. <laughs> we and, we and did I the over under to laugh, Al. I think that was what, what we picked. Just a laugh. And, we didn't really decide. And, you know, I had them obviously under whatever number we used. And lo and behold, here they are in the postseason. So, uh, let's break it down. Let's go through some stuff here, you know, in wild, wild, wild card weekend. Yes. Do you have any upsets out there in these first round games? The people are all, people are jumping on the Giants, you know, because they battled Minnesota once already. Uh, in the AFC, you know, nobody in their right mind is giving the Ravens a chance uh, with either a second or third string quarterback against Joe Cool. Uh, nobody is giving, obviously, Miami a chance against Buffalo. Uh, over in, you know, the NFC, uh, uh, I mean, to me, does anybody in their right mind think the Niners are going to lose at home? Even with Mr. Irrelevant, a quarterback? So where are your upset specials? What are your competitive games? What are your no-brainers? Let's start in the NFC. I'm sure the spread for the 49ers game is going to be heavily favoring San Francisco, and that's no surprise. Even if Brock Purdy doesn't play well, them being at home and having the weapons where he could just turn around and throw it to somebody in the backfield, anyone, Kittle, you know, obviously McCaffrey, just toss it to somebody back there. They'll make something happen. And we love Pete Carroll. Of course. We love Pete Carroll. We love phenomenal Pete. job this season. No one we love this. We love Pete Carroll on this show. We love Pete's enthusiasm. We love Pete's youthful enthusiasm. His gum-chewing youthful enthusiasm. We love Pete's hair. Yes. All right? Pete's going to go to his grave at 95 with a full head of hair and a smile on his face. And we're going to love him. And that's why I want – and I I think he's going to love Lamar Jackson. That's why I want to make that deal. One last ride. But but do we give them even a remote chance in San Francisco? I don't. I don't see Uh, it. Unless the young quarterback just completely implodes. Yeah. I don't see it. So if it uh, I've got in to take- Seattle, I would feel slightly better about maybe that. Like you kind of slap them in the face early with a couple early touchdowns and they get days like what, what, what's going on? Geno Smith. How do it? And then they have to kind of battle back, but I don't think they won't have control of the game. Unfortunately for, for Pete, 
So I, I'd have to lean San Francisco. I don't know what the number will be. It's it's probably going to be too high. I mean, you could consider maybe taking the points if it's 12 or 11 or something, but I don't think San Francisco. Uh, look, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, the fourth, Metcalf, run the ball, hit a couple big plays, make San Francisco travel the length of the field. Yeah. Maybe McCaffrey lays it on the ground. You know, you never know. Right. But it, it, it's spread you know, is ten. You, it looks like ten, ten you, and a half. You, you have to believe the way the Niners have been playing uh, that they win this first round game. Giants in Minnesota. I am going with Minnesota in this one. I know a lot of people think it's close. The spread says the same. The spread is three. The Vikings at home in a game like this. I don't think there would be much to think about. The Vikings, for whatever reason thrive in these potentially close games. The only fear is the trope of Kirk Cousins playing in front of a national audience and his game's not getting lost in the one o'clock. He's at 430 and that's it on Sunday. So everybody's going to be watching. That's the only problem. All eyes are going to be on Kirk. And that sometimes is the trouble when he has the whole world watching what's happening to the Minnesota Vikings. The other concern I have for Minnesota is obviously their miserable defense against one of the best running backs in football, against the quarterback who is, look, this is his first postseason game, obviously, but he's grown by leaps and bounds under this coach and this coordinator. He's making fewer mistakes. He's keeping his team in the game with his legs at times, not just his arm. He's versatile. Uh, Daniel Jones, by the way, his last name, folks, is not Dimes. All right? Just in case you didn't know that. That, and that didn't take off like people had hoped it would. It's it's just it's it should just be Daniel Jones. He's a Daniel. That's how he plays. He's not a Danny, and he's certainly not a Dimes. And Daniel Jones is fine. And the other concern I would have for Minnesota is they've got a certain running back who I love, and you know his name, number four. Another one of these guys who's you know wearing the goofy numbers now that the numbers have changed. The former star from Florida State who can literally go 80 yards with a screen pass or a draw uh, and is a tremendous player. But he has a tendency to put it on the ground. And he does it at times where it's not even forced, uh, where he just, you know, he loses control of the football. Uh, He's sloppy with it. He doesn't tuck it away. He takes not a big hit, but uh, just a, you know, a, a little bit of a hit, and the ball comes popping out. Uh, so I would keep an eye on that because debilitating turnovers can turn underdogs into winners. So that's something I'd keep an eye on. If Delvin Cook does not lose a fumble, Vikings win. That's the prediction I'll give you. I like the Vikings to. To win like the first time, to at least win by three against the Giants. And I think if there's an upset just based on home and away, spreads two and a half so far in favor of the Cowboys, I think Dallas beats the Bucks in Tampa. Look, will the Dallas job be open if they don't? Well, we know how Jerry is. Will the the Dallas job, uh, because I have to believe, with Sean Payton out there, 
that if Dak Prescott and company spit the bit against old folks, he's out. I think uh, post-game, he'd get thrown under the bus immediately by Jerry. Absolutely. That his job was up for discussion, he'd probably word it as. Something along the lines of that, as in, yeah, man, if I find somebody else, you're gone. No question. Let's say they lose 31 to 10. Yeah, there's no question. He's, He's out. He's done. He's done. He would word it that way, like, well, we're, we're going to discuss it, but it's certainly something that will be up for discussion, and it will be up in the air. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking it's, it's over. Well, because he, you know, he loves Peyton. Yeah, he does. He's lying for years. It's a foolish thing to do, to put your faith in the Dallas Cowboys in the postseason, but I will. I, I mean, we've just seen Tampa play old. And despite being at home, old. But Dallas has proven that they could easily drop games like this. In the no, they've been no so question. up and down. It's ridiculous. Their performance in the last game of the season was just – Dak was hideous. He, he was so unacceptably bad. And that's the problem with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is what he is because he's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. That's not a knock on him. It's not his fault. He carries himself well. He handles stuff pretty well, except for the one time last year with the fans. and. He is made out to be this top-flight quarterback, which he simply isn't. He's a middling quarterback in the National Football League. To the AFC we go. Do you give my Ravens with, it looks like, their backup quarterback at the helm, and the defense healthy and ready to go, and one of the worst group of wide receivers in all the National Football League, any chance to go back into the jungle and beat Joe Cool in the Bengals? With a beat-up offensive line. Any? Yes, because there have been games where the Bengals just don't show up for first halves. And Baltimore's defense is going to be like, oh, that's nice. You don't think we have a shot? Let us show you a couple things. So there could be easily a couple turnovers, and this could be like 9-6 headed in halftime. But when the game's over, I, I, don't, I don't see how Cincinnati can lose to I, I, as I ugly as their win might be. I don't I don't think they lose the game. I just and it's my team, but based on what we've seen all year, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Um they have not shown any ability to put the ball in the end zone against anyone. So no matter how well the defense plays, you know, they're in a position where they, if they give up two touchdowns, they lose. Because the Ravens are lucky if they score one. And then obviously, you know, three field goals from Justin Tucker gets them to 16. Holding Cincinnati to less than 16 points in their building, let alone anywhere, is going to be incredibly difficult. If any defense could pull it off, it'll be Baltimore's. But I I just, you know, I don't, that means they'd have to score a touchdown. And unless the defense scores it, I don't know if they can do that. The offense has been so miserable in the red zone. The wide receivers haven't got a touchdown pass in forever. Uh, so you got to go with the Bengals here. That spreads nine and a half. Vegas knows exactly what they're doing to make you think about that 10. They've got the Miami Buffalo game at 13 and a half. Again, making you think about, okay, is this going to be a two touchdown? I don't think Buffalo loses to Miami if Tua doesn't play and he's not going to. Skyler Thompson, their third string quarterback, against that Buffalo defense, against 
even if Josh Allen does his why are we doing this in the red zone routine, which he's done a couple of games this season, what they have behind him with the love and support for DeMar Hamlin and what's happened to their franchise the last several weeks. You add that to their team being at home. I unfortunately for the Dolphins, they're walking in with juggernaut. There's just too much going on in Buffalo for them to win this game. Can they hit a couple big plays to the wide receivers? I don't know if this quarterback can do that. But even if they do, uh, you got to figure Buffalo puts up 30 points. They put up 30 points against everybody. So I give them, I think, probably the same kind. I probably give them the least chance of any team of winning. Less than Seattle and even less than the Ravens. I think we'll see some fun stuff. Like... Get out the trick plays, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, have, have whatever whatever, whatever Jalen Waddle do, do whatever. Whatever you tricks do. you have in the bag, you know, don't be afraid to use them. You want to do whatever thing you can to get the ball to, to Hill and Waddle as much as possible. I don't care if it's your know, wide receiver screens. I don't care if it's double reverses throwing to each other. Yeah, right. You know, Just laddering it back and forth across the field, whatever. Do whatever you can, but I think that is only going to get you so far. So upset-wise, we're not really looking too good unless, I mean, Dallas, I guess, would be an upset based on what the is, home field part of it. But record What is no. the Charger? Uh, the Chargers and Jaguars spread is just a point and a half favoring Los Angeles. Okay. I, I think that is a chance. And to that, could, that could probably move to potentially a pick by the time the game starts. To I'm anxious to watch those quarterbacks. Yeah, it's going to be Go fun. at it. And those offenses, uh, we don't know if Williams is going to play thanks to their moronic coach. Uh, it was just a buffoon. He really is. I'm sorry. There's a guy who, if they go one and done, could he lose his job? Could he lose his job? He could. Because that's the job that we've always talked about. He's made for Sean Payton. Yeah. Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Chargers locked and loaded. Okay. You, you know, just punch. Just, just give him. You just put his name on the office. Door. Right. That's why, I mean, there's, there's no reason for Sean Payton to rush anything because he potentially could have several more openings if he's still on the market based on what happens in this wildcard round. Yeah, that, that is, the, that is the, the, the turnkey job. The Chargers for Sean Payton. We've been talking about it seemingly all regular season about how wide open these NFL playoffs could potentially be how fan bases who have been scorned for so many years finally have opportunities. We'll see if that comes to fruition and starts for some of these fan bases after what begs to be a pretty exciting wildcard weekend. And hopefully better than last year's. Cause if you folks remember, and I'm sure you do, we had route after route after route after route games over by halftime. Hopefully it'll be a different story this year. Might be worth putting a little parlay down on that just to see if it happens again. Nothing has ever stopped you in the past. (laughs) Well, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Diney, Lund, IML Renato, AKL from White Plains. Enjoy the wild, wild card weekend. The prayers for young Mr. Hamlin, all were answered. And they were answered, yes. Take care, everybody.
We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.